We are learning Daflamid. We're starting from the bottom of Chavtes Amid Beis. Three lines off from the bottom. Yasser Verb Abin. So, Gemara tells us about a conversation. We learn about some of these details here. Yasser Verb Abin, Rabbi Yisrael Peri. Rabbi coming to Rabbi Yirmiya. It was Rabbi Abin, Rabbi Yisrael, the son of Rabbi. They were sitting in front of Rabbi Yirmiya. Coming now named Rabbi Yirmiya. Rabbi Yirmiya was sleeping. Now it means he was in a state where, you know, he was awake, but he was dozing. Yasser Verb Abin, Rabbi Yisrael were sitting, and they were saying over the following kasha. According to Barpada, the Amar Padman Chosos Abdoshis, how the hell if somebody is Poda, the saplings, automatically the saplings revert back to becoming Kadosh. Remember, the person said, these saplings are Kadosh until they are cut down. And then the Mishnah, according to Barpada, was saying that Pidyon is ineffective. And even if you go to be Poda, what's going to happen is automatically they'll, they'll be reconsecrated. Why is that? You said that's Varm is that. When a person is saying this should be Kadosh until this time, he's saying it should remain Kadosh until that time. No matter what happens, it should be Kadosh. So basically, he's making multiple consecrations. He's saying it should be Kadosh now. And if for whatever reason, it loses its Kedusha and it's redeemed, so then it should become consecrated again. That's the idea of Barpaza. That's why it's automatically going to be remain Kadosh until the time that it's, um, that, that, that it's cut down. And then we learned yesterday, after it's cut down, we need one more opinion. Kedusha doesn't go away with nothing, but... But the main idea about Barpada is that during the time until it's cut down, even if somebody redeems it, you got it, it will become reconsecrated. So according to him, you could resolve Shaila. What was Rav Yoshia Shaila? Moshe was talking about a Kedushin. A man gives two different prutas. Remember, to be Makadish woman, you have to give her Shava pruta. So here he gives her two separate prutas. He says to her, With one of these coins, I'm making a Kedushin for today. And for one, I want you to be married to me after I divorce you. So what's going on? What's going on is that he's making two marriages. He's making two marriages on a woman who currently is eligible for him to marry. But one marriage is good, obviously the first one. But the second one is only meant to go in effect after he divorced her. Now, there could be multiple issues with making such a condition. Obviously, the question is, if he then divorces her, is she Mekudashis again? The woman accepted both of the Brutas. She accepted the deal. Does that mean that if she divorces her, automatically she's married again? What a lumpish question. It's amazing how, you know, in, in Kedushin, the Gemara discusses this briefly, but over here it comes up from a whole different angle. In the Gemara and Kedushin, we're interested in the fact that it's a Dabr Shalom that generally a person can't make in effect a uh, transaction when something is yet to happen. You know, oh, I'll marry you after, let's say a man goes over to marry a woman, he says, I'll marry you after your husband divorces you. So that's a double shlobo because he cannot marry her now. But here, you don't necessarily have that problem. Why? Because right now, the current state of the woman is that she's, a, she, she's eligible, right? She's a penuya. He's making two kedushins on her, one for now and one for later. So it's not really chizaron of davar olam. This is what the Gemara Kedushin seems to say. You don't have that aspect. I'm a Kaddish woman who's currently ineligible. That's not the issue. Let's say I went over to a non-Jew, I saw the Kaddish you after you convert. That would be davar olam. Over here, you don't have that. Currently, she's eligible. Just you're making one Kedushin for now and the second Kedushin for later. So what's the Shaila? The Shaila is that no, the second marriage is scheduled to be at a time that will become out of your hands. Right, that's the point. In other words, you're scheduling the second condition to be at a time when it cannot take effect. Because it can, you cannot make a second condition once she's already married. Once she's already married, that's, only, she's a, that's the first marriage. So yes, it's true, right now you're speaking to an open woman who could become the Kodesh's to you. 
But as much as you're making two Kedushin simultaneously, then the second Kedushin is really a Davar Shalom It is really something which cannot take effect right now. So maybe we say that it undermines the second marriage. Since you're being Mikadosh or now, you can't be Mikadosh a second time from later. And it's not a question but the fact that you know, you're, you, here you're giving two separate Kedushins. But the issue is maybe the fact that you're being Mikadosh or now precludes the possibility of making simultaneously a second Kedushin to take effect after the divorce. That's the Shiloh for Moshe. So Zakti Gemara, by us, let's think about it. What's, by, what's going on by Babad? A guy is, being, is, is, is consecrating an item. He's saying, these trees are Kalush. He's also saying, basically, that if I redeem them, they should be Kalush again. Because that's what he's basically, in effect, saying. He's saying these should absolutely remain holy until they are cut down. And as we're saying, even if he redeems them, it's, it's holy still. Why? What's the Pshat? He's saying, I'm a Kaddish now, and I'm a Kaddish after I consecrate, after I redeem it. So we see that a person could make two consecrations at the same time. And even though the, the, the first one kind of undermining the second one, because you can't be Mikadosh, something that's already holy, but that's what you're saying, right? You're saying, I'm Mikadosh this, and then, and, then, and then the second one should be Kaddish after it would be redeemed. So we see that that works. So if we see that that works, so maybe it should work by the Kedushin as well. Hanami Dabi Kedushi, the second marriage should be a marriage. Trust like Barpada, it's two Misa Hektishes, one for now and one for after I redeem it. So two by the woman, Mikadosh or now, and one after you, you divorce her. Says the Gemara, Tairbu Revirmiya. Revirmiya woke up from this conversation and he said, You guys are wrong. How could you compare a case of the saplings to where you would redeem it or a case where you, somebody else redeems it? It's only if you yourself redeem it that they become re sanctified. But let's say somebody else redeemed it, they don't automatically become consecrated again. Even if later you reacquire it. So, meaning, imagine this guy. He's Mekadosh the saplings. Now they belong to the base of Mekdash. All right. Now, if he himself redeems it, automatically they're Kaddish again. But let's say his friend redeems it. Remember, the, the right of redemption is for anybody. Once it belongs to Hakdash, Hakdash can sell it to anybody. So imagine Hakdash sold it to somebody else. That somebody else then sells it back to me. It's not going to become Kaddish. What's the Pshat? <coughs> the Pshat's like this. Even though you're setting in effect a second Misa Hektish that should go effect after it's redeemed, that's only if it goes directly to your control, meaning it's either by you or by Hektish. So if it directly goes from Hektish back to you, so we say that your original Misa Hektish for the time after the redemption could take effect. But in a scenario where it goes to somebody else first, <clears throat> then you can't say that. Because then there was a break, there was an interruption, there's a hefsek. There was a moment when the item of Hektish was you, you don't have control over. So you can't dictate then that it should become consecrated once it's already past the point that you lost your control. If I gave it to Hektish, I didn't lose my control because it's by Hektish because of me. So if it comes directly back to me, then I've never lost control. It was either by me or by Hektish. It was always by me, always within my power, either literally or once I gave it to Hektish, it was within my, my, my pu'ula when I consecrated but if it goes right directly back to me, it will become Kaddish again. But if it goes to somebody else, and then my control has been, has been severed, once my control has been severed, even if it does end up coming back to me, it cannot become reconsecrated. That's what Rabbi Yochanan said, a super lumpish point. So first, let's, let's digest that. The whole din of Barpata and the Mishnah, that when you redeem it, it becomes consecrated again. It's only if you directly redeem it from Hakdash. You, you always had control over this. It was either always by the effect of your consecration by Hakdash or directly back to you. But if it goes to somebody else and you've lost control, even if subsequently it comes back to you, 
then it does not become reconsecrated. Zok the Gemara, and this is one of the most hardest lines in all of Shas. Isha kipadun machir megamim. The case by Kedushin is like somebody else redeemed. What's the Gemara saying? You're Mekadish a woman, and now what happens? You're married, she's married to you. If you were divorce her, and you want to know, should the second Kedushin take effect, that's more analogous to the case of where somebody else redeemed the Hakadosh, not where you redeemed the Hakadosh. Frak the Ram, what is the Gemara talking about? It doesn't make any sense. Just the opposite. It should be just like the case of Padanu, right? You were married the woman, and the, okay, so that should be like the Maisa Hakadosh. And then when you divorce her, that should be sub, that should be tantamount to what to redeeming it. And now the second Hakadosh should take effect. Well, what, what, what does the Gemara mean that the case of the woman is like Padanachir? So the Ran explains here. It's an amazing Ran. I want. I think it's worth it seeing inside because just to read it inside, it's it's, it's nine ten lines down in the wide lines. If a woman would betroth herself to a man, if a woman would affect the transaction of kedushin, that you're right, it would be exactly like that. She was mocked herself to the man. The man then divorced her. That's like that's like a pigeon. She goes right back, and then you will go back to the man. But it's not like that. The Torah says that the man takes a woman. The Pasuk did not say a woman take, it makes herself be taken to the man. That's not the way it works. It's all from the side of the husband. The woman has no power how to make herself by her husband. That's why the Gemara Kedushin says, what's the background? Who makes the Kedushin? Who says it? <clears throat> Let's say the woman was the one who said, I am betrothed to you. That's a meaningless statement. How does Kedushin work? She agrees to become betrothed. She nullifies her will and desire. She makes herself relative to her husband like an ownerless object. Once she is ownerless, the husband can simply take her in. So basically, Kedushin is affected completely one-sided. It cannot be done against her will. Against her will, you can't do it. But the role of her das is not das apoeles. She's not being makna. She's not making anything. She's simply like lying down, so to speak. She's making herself hefker. Allowing now the Maisa Kedushin to be the man takes Adamashal Hefker. That's why we never look at Kedushin as something the woman is doing. It's always the husband. So now we understand from the perspective of the Makadish, who's the Makadish? Not the woman. The Makadish is the man. So from the man's perspective, he brought her in, he gave her the divorce. Once the divorce happens, he has no shaykhist to her anymore. That's the idea. By Hektish, what happened? Either I was Makdish the tree, it was by Hektish, and then it comes right back to me. But what happens here is not that way. What happens is I'm the Kaddisher, I divorce her, and now I have no shaykhist to her anymore. Once the divorce happens, again, if it would be the other way, if a woman would be the Makna, she's affecting the Kedushin, she would be Makna herself to the husband, she would then, the divorce happens, and she's back to the way it was, back to her control. So then that would, why can't there be Hakna that I should be back to the husband right after the divorce? It would be like Padanu. Zoktaran, no, the woman's perspective is irrelevant because she's never a part of the Maisa Kedushin. She's just giving her will that the husband therefore can bring her in as a Dabashal Afkir. From the husband's perspective, it's like Padanachirim. As soon as the divorce happens, he has no shaykhist to her anymore, no control of her. She's back to being in her own rishos. And therefore, once she is divorced, 
the husband has no power anymore. It's like cut off and severed. So if he set up a second condition to take effect once the divorce happened, that can't work. Because once he's divorced, he has no shaykhus there. Again, it only works by us, but in Barpada, because after the pigeon, where's the item? Back by the person. So since it was always backed by you, and you then have that control to set up, that the hackfish should be chal. So this is a tremendous insight of the Ran. And Rabbi, you have to know that if you learn Kedushin, there are many kashas on this Ran. Many kashas. A whole tshuva, the Avni Milum, is devoted to trying to slug up this Ran. Again, the Iker Yisraeli of the Ran, take this Yisraeli in your back pocket. That the role of Das, and the one who knows you, you need consent by the woman. The Pashup shot is not like the Ran. The Pashup shot is... You give her the ring, just like you buy something. Okay? When you buy something, you give money, and then the person, because you gave the money, is makne the item to you. So the Pashup shot is you give money to the woman, she's makne her ishas to you. She's giving her das apoel, as she's transacting the kedushin. But we're saying, no, the rounds you say is that it doesn't work that way. The Torah says, ki kach ish ish, isha. It's all about the man taking. How's the man taking? She's the makne. The taich is, she's mevatelis to ritzona. She becomes a Davish al And then the Maisa Kedushin then therefore is Chal. That's the Ranzi Say. Says the Gemara. So it comes out, Rabbi Pada does not resolve Rabboshi din In our Mishnah from Rabbi is only when he redeemed it, but if somebody else redeems it, they would not become resanctified. All right, now we get into many, many easy topics. Super easy, a whole stream, um, a whole stream of Mishnahis here, which are going to discuss technical terms and what they refer to. Somebody said, that I am a Nedra, I'm not going to get benefit from people who go to the sea. People who are sea people. He's allowed to benefit from people who live on the land, obviously. However, if he asked himself from the people who live on the land, it's awesome to benefit from the people who go to the sea. Why? Even the people who live at sea also live at land, right? Nobody only lives at sea. Even if you have people who go on long voyages, but eventually they return back home. So therefore, if I take a nether from the Yeshvei Abasha, included in that are the people who take voyages. And then the Mishnah finishes off. We don't mean people who go from Akko to Yafa, which is a very short trip. Even to people who go at great different distances. So with that last line of the Mishnah, we have to explain what it's going on. One says that the last part of the Mishnah, that we're even talking about long voyages, is not going on the end of the Mishnah, but rather the beginning of the Mishnah. One says it's going on the end of the Mishnah. So we explain what's going on. The one who taught it on the Reisha, he teaches as follows. What was the opening line of the Mishnah? Someone who made a net answering himself and the people at sea is still muttered to the people who are at land. But the implication is he would be answered to the people who have voyages. So what does it mean, people who have voyages? We're saying Akula doesn't mean anyone who ever goes on a ferry. Right? That's not considered a voyage. People just go on a ferry. That's considered the Yoshri Abasha. He didn't ask for himself like that, from them. He's only answering himself from the people who go on a long voyage. So let's give it practical terms. is saying like this. Let's say a guy answered himself from the Yard Hayam. Who is he also on? He's clearly not also on people who never go on a boat. Okay. But is he also on people who take the ferry, you know, the Staten Island ferry to work? No. That's not called Yardayam. Yardayam are only people who take cruises. That's what it would be saying. You know, that's what that would be the chat. So, Akula. But those who teach on the Seifa teach it like this. I know the Mishra was saying that if you asser, for those who live at land, you're usher on everybody, even those who go on voyages. Why? Because eventually they come back home. So, the Achumra, the Mishra then says, it's not only for people who take the ferry that you're usher on because they come back home, and you'll say every day. 
Even if someone goes on a long voyage and he only comes home once every six months, still, at one point he comes back home and he'll be Asr. So according to the, the second Shah the Gemara, we're saying a in the safe of the Mishnah, when you ask yourself in Yashve Abasha, you're Asr, even people who take voyages because eventually they come back home, the Mishnah qualifies that Chumrah, that it's true not only for people who take short trips and are, come back frequently, even people who take long trips and only come back very, very, um, very much not frequent, but we're still Asr on them. Someone asks that benefit for the people who see the sun. That was the Lashon of the Nether. Asr, is Asr even from the blind. I, the blind, don't see the sun. He didn't mean the people who see the sun, but rather those who the sun sees. Now, what's Pshad? My time, says the Gemara, how do we know? Maybe he means people who see the sun. How do, we, how do we know to interpret the words from people that the sun sees? He could have just said from people who have sight. Right? Why do you have to bring up the sun? Just say, I'm answering myself from people who have sight. If his true intention was not to include the blind, just say from the people who could see. He didn't say that. He brought up the sun. Must be he meant people that the sun sees. And what is he coming to exclude? When he comes to exclude fish and fetuses, those are not visible to the sun. So since those are not visible to the sun, <coughs> that's what his language is coming to exclude. But his language is not coming to exclude the blind. The blind would be, in fact, included in his nether. Someone has a nether answering himself from the people who have dark heads. So you would say dark heads means, you know, people with brown and black hair, right? Says the mission, no. It's also from bald people, even who don't have hair at all. And it's also even from old people, meaning people with gray or white hair. It's mother for him to benefit from women and children. The dark-headed people is a term, the idiom of a dark-headed person is referred to, is referring to men. Why? What's Pshad? Maybe dark-headed people means people with dark, black, and brown hair. Like, how do we know that? What's Pshad in this idiom, dark-headed people refers to men? So the Gemara explains, my Gemara, my time, what's the reason? How do we know what dark-headed means? So first of all, why don't you just say people with hair? If his true intention was to exclude bald people, he wouldn't have said dark-headed people, he would have said people with hair. For the fact that he said dark-headed as opposed to people with hair, then, then clearly he's not coming to exclude bald people. So now, that's how the whole thing triggers. If he's not coming to exclude bald people, so what's he doing then? Once, it, one, once it's not being taken literally, so then you don't know that it's excluding gray or white-haired people, and we assume it's just an idiom to refer to adult men. And we're going to explain the idiom in a second, but just follow the train of thought. It, the train of thought is, the guy said, I'm, I'm, I'm having another from dark-headed people. Pashup shot, you're right. Dark-headed people would mean not, not a bald person. But then once you're, once you're saying that, why don't you just say from people with hair? So LMI, it doesn't mean, LMI, we're saying he doesn't mean to exclude bald people. Once he doesn't mean to exclude bald people, then there's no way we can say he means to exclude white or gray either. LMI, the whole thing is an idiom. And we're going to explain dark-headedness is a reference to men. And the Gemara explains, Men, we sometimes cover our heads, we sometimes don't. Sometimes we wear head covering, sometimes we don't. Women always cover their heads, right? They're modest. And children never cover their heads. So for women, you would call them people with covered heads. For children, you would call them people who never cover, people with uncovered heads, like bareheaded people. Men sometimes cover and sometimes don't. So therefore, they're called dark-headed people. And the reason is because most men have dark hair. So it's a very confusing Gemara, it really is. Bottom line is, is that we're saying there's literal language and there's an idiom. Dark-headed 
people is a reference to men in general. Most men have dark hair, and therefore we say men are referred to as dark-headed people. Women are referred to as the covered, and the, women, the children are referred to as the uncovered. Men are the idiom, and we refer to them as the dark-headed people. Again, how do we know he's saying an idiom? Maybe he's just saying literal language. The tarot says, because had he really meant to exclude bald people, he would have said people with hair. It's very hard for me to understand this Gemara, because maybe he meant to exclude bald people and people with white hair. Right? It's hard to know, really, when you get nitty-gritty, how do we really know when he was using it as an idiom or when he wasn't? But the Gemara like, starts from that point. Had he was coming to exclude bald people, he surely would have said people with hair. So bottom line is, if a person said, I'm taking a nether, that I'm not going to benefit from people with hair, he would talk of mutter from a bald person. But when he says the dark-headed people, we assume the whole thing is an idiom as a reference to men. Sounds like from the Gemara, by the way, that you don't have to wear a kippah all the time. Thank you say very interesting. So the post can talk about that. If you do it, you don't. Sounds like from that, that women always cover their hair, like Mar saying. And men sometimes yes, sometimes not. All right. So a little grammar here. The root of yelled, right? That means someone who is born or someone who will be born. So the Mishnah says, I know them with a yod, mutter banoladim. He is mutter for people who are born in the future. Meaning yilodim is mashma. I'm master for one people who are currently born. But noladim are people who are born in the future. So if I said yilodim, that I'm mutter and the people who are born after the nether was said. But if I took the nether from the noladim, asr mina yilodim. Then I'm asr on everybody. First of all, the future and even people who are already born. So basically, the Tanakhama says noladim is mashma both ways, both future and present. Yilodim is only people who are currently born. Rameir Matar Afbe Yilodim. Rameir Matar is him to benefit even from those already born. So it's hard to understand what, they, what exactly Rameir is saying. We'll see in the Gemara. No, when you say Noladim, you just mean those whose nature is to be born. We'll see what you're coming to exclude. But you're not trying to say currently born, future born. Noladim includes everybody. So we'll have to understand Rameir, but the Chachamim are very clear. Yilodim, only people are presently born. Noladim, anyone who is born in general. So Akhtimara, Rameir seemed to say by Noladim that you're muttered to everybody. Rameir, Valomi, Bailo, Noladim, and Man Asr, then who's he asking himself? If he's muttered to everybody. So Akhtimara, Kasur, Maswak, Tani, the Mishnah is missing text. Really, it should say like this. I know there's a Yilodim, someone who asks himself from Yilodim. So he's also on the currently born people. But Mutter by Noladim, he's muttered to the people who will be born in the future. That's clear. Everybody agrees. Mina Noladim, so the Tanakama was saying, Asr by Yilodim, he's also from everybody. Noladim is Mashma both ways. Rameir Omer, no. Noladim is only future. So Yilodim would be not, would be Mutter. Somebody said, I'm also from the Noladim, he would be Mutter to the people who are currently born. Just like everybody agreed when I said Yilodim, you're much of the people born in the future. So when I say Noladim, I'm only answering for the future, but I'm answering myself to the people currently born. So Rameir is saying the grammar is very simple. Noladim is only future. Yilodim is only present. The Rabbana were saying confusing thing. Yilodim is mashma only present. Noladim is mashma both ways. So the Gemara now speaks out. It sounds like Noladim implies people born in the future. That's not true because look at the Pasuk. Here, this is where Yosef, right? Yaakov was talking to Ephraim and Ashi. He said the two sons who were born to you in Mitzrayim, not who will be born, who were born. Ephraim and Ashi were already born. So I see no Ladim could be used even for a present. So tomorrow, you think it means the people already born? There will be a son. Will be no lot to the house of David Yoshia. Chanam Dava means that he was already born. Even the grandfather wasn't yet born. It's a future prophecy. 
So clearly we see nolad means what will be born. Future and past. Listen to the rule. It's not about what you find in the Torah. It's about the way people speak. So since it's about the way people speak, so what's the rule? We've got to figure out the way people speak. Remer held, Nola Dim, people only use for future, not for present. So the Chachamim disagreed. The Chachamim said, you look at the Torah, and I guess they held people also speak, meaning both ways. Nola Dim is past and, pre- and, and present. I'm sorry, it's present and future. Remer held, it was only future. That was the Machlokas. The Chachamim said that he was only saying Nola Dim to exclude people, things who aren't born. Lafuke Mai, what does that exclude? Lafuke Dagam Va'ofos. Things that are hatched from eggs, right? They're not mammals. That, not mammals, right? So the, the, those things that they're not born alive from the mother. So the Chum say no ladim is mashma only, only to exclude the fish and the birds, but it does not make a difference whether the person is currently born or the future born. Mayor was saying no ladim is only for the future born.